Thanks, Rich. It is good to be back. Uh, we had a, I had a quick trip. Uh, kind of visited my my family. They were in Michigan, Grand Rapids, and then we went over to Detroit uh, for memorial service for Mary's grandmother. So that's where we were at, and um, she passed away last year. And we're just now kind of getting around to uh, having all the family together to celebrate that, celebrate her life. And uh, so it was a sweet time. So I know a lot of you were praying for that, and thank you. And it is good to be back. Um, especially after my sabbatical from preaching. Um, I'm joking. It's just, the summer is definitely not, uh, you wouldn't be able to call it a sabbatical. Um, but I didn't want it to be either. But it has been a joy, like Rich said, to hear my, my brothers preaching. And uh, they delivered the word. They helped us think through the fruit of the Spirit. And for some of these guys, this was their very first sermon ever. you believe that? Uh, first sermon ever. So, thank you guys for being the test dummies. Okay, are you still waking up? Maybe not. No, I'm joking. These guys served us so well. Um, each week we sat down to go over their sermons after they would preach it. And I was just super encouraged by how carefully each, each of them first applied the truth to their own hearts. And then, then secondarily to, uh, to you guys. And that's what preaching is. Or at least it's what it should be. It's the overflow of a transformed heart. And it was a joy uh, to hear how the Lord was working the particular fruit that they were assigned um, into their lives. And he gave them lots of opportunities to cultivate the fruit during their week, uh, challenges, setbacks. And uh, it was both, so that was sweet to see. It was also great to see their love for you kind of come through uh, as they're prepping and they wanted to help you guys in any way they could with God's word and as we're training these guys, that's what we love to see. We love to see that shepherd's heart developing in these guys. And seriously, I know I've been kind of joking around a little bit, but thank you for allowing us to rotate through this summer. As you know, we're committed to investing in the future, in pastors, church planters that the Lord's raising up. We're committed to mentoring these guys, helping them develop their gifts, test their aspirations. And all of the guys that preached over the summer, they've, they've expressed an interest in ministry in some form or another. So we, we wanted to give them an opportunity on the front end to test their gifts. And you guys also, beyond just receiving it, you play a vital role in that process. So you've given them valuable feedback just as they've, as they've taught. Feedback that will help them discern where they're gifted where the Lord would most want to use them, potentially, in the future. So thanks for being an encouragement to them this summer. And if there was somebody that stuck out to you in your mind, go up to them, if you haven't already, and um, let them know how the Lord used them in your life. But now, it's my turn to be in the hot seat. All summer long, we've had Wednesday meetings where we've done a friendly sermon review. And that means I've been uh, giving them some constructive criticism for the whole, uh, the whole summer. And this week, the tables have turned, and it is their turn to give it back to me. So I am, uh, I'm going to enjoy that, being critiqued by the guys, but it's all good. Well, you're probably wondering, okay, what are, what are you doing? Uh, why, why are you up here? Are you, are you still going in? Are you still talking about the fruit of the Spirit? Um, I thought we were done with this series. I mean, Hayden finished up the chapter. He did a, he did a kind of final roundup about keeping in step with the Spirit last week, so... What's left? Well, that's a good question. 
We've spent a considerable amount of time in these sermons trying to help you understand how to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Or to use Paul's term, to walk by the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit like we saw last week. But as Paul transitions to chapter 6, he adds one final facet to our study. Paul tells us to cultivate this fruit together. We need help. And we need to help each other cultivate this fruit. So we're going to see if we can get this up here. I don't even know if I'm pressing the right buttons. There it is. So Paul, if you you can go ahead and turn to Galatians 6. Paul is going to tell us to cultivate this fruit, to seek to walk by the Spirit together, that we need each other. We need help when it comes to bearing fruit. And that's because Paul knows that this church that he was writing to, these churches of Galatia and our church today, that the church is in process. It's progressing toward fruitfulness. He knows that there are mature people and immature people in the body. And immature people are easily ensnared. They're easily overtaken by the flesh. The flesh that he talked about. The works of the flesh earlier in chapter 5. And maybe that's you. I mean, we're a college ministry. Some folks here are new to the faith. Maybe this summer the Spirit has put His finger on an area in your life that's absolutely burning your life down. An area that's dominated by your flesh. Maybe you've been hearing all this talk about freedom, but it feels like you're enslaved. You've tried to play it down. You've tried to act like you've got it together and under control, but you don't. And truth be told, you're discouraged. You're demoralized. You're defeated. And these sermons have further highlighted that reality for you. You might keep people at a distance because you're embarrassed. Or you're hesitant to serve because you feel like a hypocrite. And if that's you, if you've really struggled to keep in step with the Spirit, like Paul says, take heart. Because Paul has a solution for you right here in this passage that we're going to look at today. But for others of you, maybe you felt conviction during this series, but it was mixed with encouragement and maybe tremendous encouragement. That's because you've been learning this change process. The Lord's grown you in understanding how you change, and He's been affecting that change in your life, bit by bit. You've been doing the hard work of repenting of sin. You've been learning how to renew your mind in the specifics of your life. You've been applying the Scriptures to these concrete areas, and you've seen the Spirit work His fruit in you. Now, there's far less of it than you want, no doubt. But it's there. It's real. Maybe there's an area or two that needs some significant work, but at least you're getting after it and you're slowly making consistent progress. And if that's you, that's great. But get this. Know that the solution I just talked about for that other group, for the struggling person, is you. Or at least it will be you. God has been growing you so that He can use you in the life of immature believers. He's taught you consistently, not perfectly, to keep in step with the Spirit for a purpose, so that you can help others get in step and keep in step too. 
And what Paul wants us to see as he finishes up his study on the fruit of the Spirit is that we're to help each other crucify the desires of the flesh and cultivate that fruit of the Spirit. Or we could say it like this. He calls us to walk by the Spirit together. Together, not in isolation, trying to go at it on our own. So this passage in Galatians 6 is so significant, I want to take some time and unpack it together over these next two weeks. I'll read the whole thing, but we're only going to focus on verse 1 this morning. Galatians 6. If you're not already there, go ahead and turn there. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now in this passage, Paul gives us several ways that we help each other cultivate fruit. This morning, we're only going to touch on the first one, in verse 1. And if you want a word that sums it up, it would be the word restoration. Restoration. That's the ministry that Paul is calling the church to. Is it the ministry of restoring our brothers and sisters who are enslaved in sin? Paul envisions a situation that the Galatian church and every church faces. It's when some of its members are overtaken in patterns of sin. And Paul provides the solution. The spiritual people, he says, should gently and carefully restore these folks. This means then that we need spiritual people to help us when we're overtaken in sin. And we want to become those spiritual people who can help others when they are ensnared in sin. So today, we're going to, our outline is really simple. We're just going to split this verse right in half and, uh, and unpack kind of both halves of this verse. So Paul sets us up with the situation and then he, in the first half, and then he gives us the solution to this situation in the second half of the verse. So that'll be our first half. Is this, we'll, we'll look at this together. Let's unpack this situation that Paul anticipates. And we will call that situation church member down. All right? Church member is down. He says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and that's the situation, then they should be restored. Paul envisions a situation that every church has faced and will continue to face when a church member temporarily goes down in his or her battle against the flesh. So let's take a second and really get our minds around the situation that Paul's talking about here. Notice initially that he describes this person as caught in any transgression. And this word for caught has the idea of being ambushed or overtaken. It's as though the believer underestimated the power of the flesh. He was sucker punched, maybe. Maybe you've been there. I know we've all been there. You thought you could handle that YouTube video. And the next thing you know, you've been looking at things you shouldn't have for the last three weeks. You've been overtaken by your flesh. 
And that's the idea of, of being caught. The ESV translates it as caught, and I think uh, so does the NASB. This person, Paul envisions, is the person caught unaware and unprepared. And it's also very helpful to know that those who are young in the faith are prone toward this kind of ambush. They're prone to this kind of ambush. Paul has a category for an immature believer who is prone to giving in to the flesh. He calls them infants in Christ. Over in 1 Corinthians 3, he tells these believers that even though they had the Spirit, he couldn't address them as spiritual people. It's interesting. So they have the Spirit, they've been saved, they possess the Spirit, but he couldn't call them spiritual people, at least not yet. Instead, he had to treat them like, quote, people of the flesh. And then he says, as infants in Christ. That's because, he says, they were still characterized by the flesh. And he goes on to spell it out. Things like jealousy and strife in the midst of that Corinthian church. So again, 1 Corinthians 3 there. You can write that down and go check that out later. Paul has a category for the immature believer who is still fleshy. This means then that some of you guys who are young in the faith are still very prone to give in to those fleshly impulses. You haven't yet learned to consistently walk by the Spirit, and instead of trying to forge on ahead in isolation, you need help. So that means you should open up and seek that help right here in the church from people he's going to say are spiritual. Now, one final thing I'll say on this hypothetical person who is caught in any transgression. Uh, I don't think Paul is talking about the person who is running headlong into their sin, like in unrepentant sin. I think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about people who are ensnared and they know it. People who want to be free. People who are willing to receive help and work at it by faith. And you say, how do you know that, Clay? Well, Paul never commands the church to restore people who are persisting in their refusal to repent. It never happens in Paul's Paul's letters. Does he long for their restoration? You better believe it. But he does not command the church to restore people who are unrepentant. Instead, he commands the church to warn that person. And then if they don't hear it, to discipline that person. Sometimes even kicking that person out of the church. Again, to reference 1 Corinthians, you can look at 1 Corinthians 5 on that as an example there. A man was committing sexual immorality. Some pretty, pretty serious stuff. And Paul is telling him, don't even associate with this person. He needs to be removed from the assembly. And the removal, the discipline was so that he would learn a lesson and repent and come back. It's only when the person repents that he tells the church to restore these people. And again, that same situation over in 2 Corinthians, the guy did repent. And he encouraged the church to bring him in, bring him back, lest he be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, he said. So the person he's envisioning here is the person who knows they're in trouble, the person who wants help with a pattern of sin, they're the people that Paul says, okay, we we need to work at 
restoring them. And that's been every single one of us at some point. Maybe it's us, one of us right now. And if this is you, Paul provides the solution in the second half of this verse. That's our second major point here, the solution. And we'll call this one help from the spiritual. Paul's solution is that you need help from spiritual people. Folks that are ensnared, folks that are caught, need to be restored by others in the body. Look with me in verse, the rest of this verse. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, I'm sure this verse raises a number of questions in your mind. I know it did for me. Let's try to answer just a few of these. All right? Who's Paul talking about when he addresses the spiritual? You've got to nail that down. Paul singles out this group, and he calls, them to, he calls this group to restore those that are ensnared. But who are they? Well, you could argue... You could argue that he's talking about any and every believer in the church. Since every single one of us are indwelt by the Spirit. Every person who's born again, who knows Christ. We all have the Spirit's power and His indwelling presence. So we're all spiritual people in that sense. But, like we saw over in 1 Corinthians 3, you can have the indwelling Spirit, and yet Paul can say, now I'm going to call you spiritual. He might refuse to call you spiritual because your life is characterized more by the flesh than by the spirit. And I think it makes much more sense here to take the spiritual as those whose lives consistently evidence the fruit of the spirit. Remember, just talked about the fruit of the spirit, previous verses. So the spiritual are those whose lives consistently, not perfectly, but consistently evidence the fruit of the spirit. Or we could say it like this. Spiritual people are people who have learned the process of walking by the Spirit. They've learned to consistently keep in step with the Spirit and what it takes to do so. They've learned to distrust themselves. They've learned to distrust their hearts and even what they desire. And they've learned to consistently orient their lives to the Spirit and his desires as expressed in Scripture. So this means then that Paul is calling on those who are maturing in their walk with Christ to help others who are ensnared in sin. He's calling on that, commanding that. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It's hard to lead someone out of something that you're still enslaved to yourself. You don't know the path out. You've still got the log in your eye, to use Jesus' words. You haven't done the log removal yet, so that you can see clearly to help your brother get the speck out. But this flip side is also true. If you've learned to walk by the Spirit, or you're learning to walk by the Spirit, if you're learning to consistently cultivate His fruit in an area of your life, then get this. You have already been equipped to help someone else. You've already been equipped by Him to help others in their struggle. You know what the temptations are. You know the specific lies that your heart wanted to believe and that you did believe for a while. You've battled those lies with the truth 
And you've learned to yield to the Spirit and His truth in those moments of temptation. Probably not pretty. But you're doing it. And now, when you see others struggling in that same area, you know the path. You know what it takes to keep in step with the Spirit, and so you can help others follow Him too. But you might be asking, okay, next question. How do I know if I'm mature enough to help restore someone else? Right? We're all in, in, in process. And that is a loaded question that could be a sermon all by itself. And it probably will be at some point this fall. Um, but let me answer this, this question maybe kind of in two directions, all right? How do I know if I'm ready? Well, in this context, I think Paul would ask you if you know what it takes to walk by the Spirit. Do you know what that takes? Do you know what's involved in that process? Do you know how to own your own sin? Take responsibility for it, not blame it on other people. Go to Christ in in humility and confession and repentance. Entrusting yourself to Him. Do you know how to do do that? Do you know how to renew your mind? Take thoughts captive in those scenarios and yield your will to Christ in the moments of your temptation? He definitely would not ask you if you're perfect. But He would be looking for consistency and stability in your walk. Are there glaring, like, fruit gaps in your life? Areas that are just like an alarm going off that this has to be addressed or you're going to wreck yourself and you're going to wreck other people. Now, age helps in this process because it gives you more time to cultivate fruit. It gives you more experiences and suffering that the Lord uses to cultivate this fruit. But age isn't the only factor, and it's not even the main one. Zeal in application of the truth is how someone matures. Putting what you know into practice is the surefire way to growth and to becoming useful to other people. And that would be the first thing I would say. Do you know the process of walking by the Spirit? And how zealous are you in pursuing that for your own sake? But here's a second second way I would answer this question. How do I know if I'm ready? Or what what do I do? I would say this. We've never fully arrived, so as you're involved with people, take people as far as you can in good conscience. Take people as far as you can in good conscience. What do I mean by that? Well, as we'll see next time in verse 2, we're all called to bear one another's burdens. He doesn't single out the spiritual only in that that text. We're all commanded that. So as you're bearing burdens of others right here in the church, if they put a burden on you that you don't know how to help them with, your shoulders aren't that big yet to kind of help them bear. If you're unsure of what to do, go up the chain to the person who's discipling you or to your pastor. Be humble and honest. Don't try to pretend that you can help your friend out of her debilitating anxiety if you're crushed by fear too. Go together to someone who is spiritual, who can help you both put that to death. 
and equip you and learn to overcome fear with faith. But, if you are growing, and I know many of you are, if you are experiencing clarity in God's Word, and He's giving you growth in its application, you have to realize that you are becoming the spiritual person that Paul is talking about right here in Galatians 6. And if you're becoming that person, Paul is calling on you to enter into the ministry of restoring the weak. There's not another option. This is not a pastor's only calling. This is an every member ministry. Everyone who is spiritual. Now, is that terrifying? Yes. (laughs) Is it burdensome? Oh, yeah. Will it cost you? Oh, yes. Will it be difficult and painful? Yes. But will it be rewarding? Yes. I can think of no better endeavor to give yourself to than this ministry of restoring the fallen. But that raises another question, doesn't it? What exactly is this restoration that Paul's talking about? What, what's going on here? He's calling us to restore. What, is this, what does this mean? Well, this, this word for restore can be used in a range of ways. Let me spread this out for you a little bit. In some contexts, it refers to kind of training or equipping someone for a particular task. So the same word group is used over in that familiar text at Ephesians 4. Remember the text? Where church leaders are described as equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Similar word group. So it's got kind of this equipping, training idea. But in other contexts, and I think here's, here's where we're dialing it in a little bit more to ours. It sometimes refers to fixing things that are broken. So that you can make them useful again. Now it's literally... In the Gospels, this word is used of mending a net, like a fishing net. Fishing net's got a hole in it. Put it back together. You can catch fish, right? You're making it useful. You're fixing something so you can make it useful again. In other contexts, outside of the New Testament, it refers to setting a broken bone so that it can heal. And since this context refers to helping someone out of sin and patterns of sin, I think that nuance fits best here. So when someone is living in habitual sin, they are broken. They're broken. They're not functioning like God has intended them to function. They aren't nearly as useful as they could be to Christ. So let's just think that through. If someone's resentful and they refuse to forgive, right? They're characterized by bitter jealousy, envy, those kinds of things. They're focused on themselves. They're highly offendable. They're refusing to obey Christ and actually forgive the person that wronged them. So how many people do you think they're evangelizing? How many people in the church do you think they're proactively pursuing and laying their lives down for to serve them and make them more like Christ? Zero. Zero. They're not willing to obey Christ in forgiving and they're willing to hold on to their resentment, so they're not going to obey Christ in evangelizing or or building up the body. 
They are not functioning like God intends them to function. God saved these people for a purpose. He saved them to use them in His mission. And if they're characterized by the flesh, they are broken. They're a broken arm that's not functioning like the arm is intended to function in the body. So, the restorer's goal, the spiritual person's goal here in Ephesians 6, I mean, sorry, Galatians 6, this goal is the restorer is not merely to get them to repent of their bitterness and forgive, although that's certainly the case. We want them to do that. The goal is to get them spiritually healthy so that they can become part of the solution themselves, part of the mission, a restorer of others. So here, I think it's best to understand this restoration work in this way. We can say it like this. It's the process of restoring a believer from a lifestyle of habitual sin to a life of fruitfulness and usefulness. Alright, it's that process of restoring a believer, okay, over here the negative, from a lifestyle of habituated sin, brokenness, they're not functioning like they ought, and it's to a life, over here positively, of fruitfulness, right, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and it leads to, over here, usefulness, right? So it's from this, Habitual sin to a life of spiritual fruitfulness and then ultimately usefulness to others. You're mending this person so they can become useful to Christ in mending others. And that's the restoring work that Paul calls every spiritual person to involve themselves in. But if someone is spiritual, and even if they're committed to this work of restoration, they need to approach it carefully. And that's because temptations abound even for spiritual people. So how should we carry out this ministry of restoration? Paul answers this question in the remainder of the verse. He says we should approach this, rest, this kind of restoring work in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Hmm. Heard that word before? He's showing you how the fruit of the Spirit is being worked out in these concrete situations of life. Paul knows that even for spiritual people, we've got to work hard to be gentle, to exhibit this fruit that the Spirit is producing in our lives. We're tempted to respond to people harshly. Why? Because the sins of others inconvenience us. (laughs) especially if the person that you're trying to restore keeps falling into the same rut of the flesh. It takes time for people to change, and that time often costs us, so we are tempted toward being harsh or sarcastic or rude to them. And we've got to remember how tender and gentle Christ was with us when we were habituated in sin ourselves, sometimes when we fall back into sin, and how gentle He still is with us today when we fail flagrantly. As we're working with others, this means we will be constantly checking our attitudes. 
will be quick to own if we're being rude or impatient. And it's silly to think, if you're working with other people, you will not at some point be rude or impatient. So you've got to be willing to own that. When we feel the irritability welling up within us, we'll seek self-control and mind renewal in this process. Remember, how has Christ been gentle with me? It means we'll evaluate our tone and our body language and even how we're perceived by others, even if we didn't mean it in a harsher or, or, or a rude way, what we said. We're going to take these things into consideration and we're going to seek to be gentle in our interactions with those that we're seeking to restore because the temptation to be harsh is very present in this kind of restoring ministry. And to help us cultivate this gentleness, Paul reminds us of another humbling truth. To finish up this verse, he tells us that we're never above being tempted ourselves. He tells us to restore others, quote, while keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's humbling. Paul says we've got to look after ourselves. We've got to look after our own hearts while we're seeking to restore other people. We can say it differently. Satan will even use the ministry of restoration to tempt us. Satan is crafty, and if he can't enter from the front door, he will enter from the back door. Even our attempts to help other people can be portals for temptation. How so? Lots of ways. I'm just going to give you a few examples. As the Lord uses you to help restore people, you can subtly start thinking highly of yourself and of your gifts. You may even begin to crave for others to seek out your opinion. You might want others to seek out your help. You might feel insecure if they're going to somebody else instead of you for counsel. As the Lord uses you in this way, you can start thinking highly of yourself and of your gifts as though they kind of came from you and the change that's being affected is coming from you, not Christ. It's an incredible temptation. Here's another way. As you get involved in the burdens of others, sometimes you're tempted to think their change depends on you. And this can tempt us to despair. Because guess what? Change happens slowly with lots of setbacks. We can be tempted to despair, especially if the people you are discipling, counseling, they don't heed what you're saying and they go back to their sin. It's easy to despair or, in our vernacular, to burn out. But burnout is a telltale sign that we're not trusting Jesus. It's a telltale sign that we're giving into the temptation that comes with this ministry of restoration, thinking it depends on us instead of Him. And then there's the obvious temptation of falling prey to the various sins that you're trying to actually help others out of. So you kind of roll up your sleeves, you go into the fire, you get burned, right? You're helping them unpack the lies and things start to get muddy for you. So we have to be careful. Paul's point here is that we've got to approach 
helping others change with watchfulness, not just gentleness, but with a healthy fear, a healthy skepticism of your own ability, your own maturity. Because even as spiritual people, we're never above any sin. Which means we can't stop being vigilant. This should humble us and keep us looking to Christ and dependent on His Word. And guess what? That will help us be gentle. Especially as we are keenly aware of our own weaknesses. As we become painfully aware of our moment-by-moment need for Christ. And if He doesn't hold this thing together, wheels are coming off. That will help us be patient and gentle. So, as we pan out, it should be clear at this point that if we're going to overcome the flesh, we're going to, if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we need each other, right? We've got to strive together, don't we? Paul says we're either in need of restoration, or we need to be growing in our ability to restore others. We need to be rolling up our sleeves and getting involved in the lives of other people. And one of the reasons I love this church is because I see both of these things happening. Today, right here in our boundless ministry even, people come to us all the time humbly admitting that they are caught in transgression, wanting to change. And we work to pair them up with others who can help restore them to usefulness. We call it the flow of discipleship. And if that's you, if, if you need that, please let us know. Or if you would really like to press into learning more about how to restore other people, We can train you in that as well. We would be happy to direct you towards some next steps on that front too. Now, as we we finish up, I realize I left out maybe the greatest question of all. All right? Probably a question everybody's thinking about. What are the practical steps to restore someone? Right? Like, how how do you go about this? What does it look like kind of from start to finish? Well, if you're anxiously looking at your watch... That's for next week, okay? That's a sermon on its own, all right? So I do plan to talk through that, but we're going to leave that for next time. Paul's point in this text, right here, is simply to show us that we need each other if we're going to grow. He's highlighting that we either need help or we need to provide help. We're either the person caught in transgression or we're making progress and we need to pay it forward to help others who are caught in transgression. And even if right now you are that person who's caught, don't miss that God's goal for you, no matter how enslaved you are, is that you become a restorer of others. How sweet is that? All right, just got a, a couple minutes. You got to, do you guys have any questions on, on this text? It's fine if you don't. Any other burning questions that were coming to mind? Um, yeah. What do you mean, what about them? They probably need to be restored. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably self-deceived. Does that make sense? Agree? Disagree? 
That's pretty blunt, but that's probably the reality. Yeah? Is there a point where it's none of your business? Uh, I think you got to be wise there. Um, yeah, it depends on everything we talked about. Your own spiritual maturity, ability to handle that, those things. But you have to recognize if God's put someone in your path as a friend or whatever, and that something comes, becomes made known, yeah, there's a certain level at which you're responsible to help that brother or sister, not in self-righteousness. Maybe all, the only thing you do is you take them to someone who can help, Right? Maybe that's your role. Maybe that's, your, that's, the, that's the part you play. Um, but no, there's no sense in which we're, we're trying just to get involved in everybody's business um, for some other motivation other than to help them become more like Christ and become useful in his mission. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Can you state that question differently? Yeah, sorry. So, oh, you're fine. If you're oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. How do you know if you're ready? Yeah. And how does the body help you in that? Yes, yeah, I think you're going to be seeing... There's a couple of things at play there, so... Um, one would be gifts. So how people are gifted differently doesn't mean we're, that therefore you're opted out of helping people or you're opted in based on your gifts. But I think the church helps affirm that. And as you love people in the body, as you're growing, and you're, it's almost natural. Like you're going you're gonna to hear that person talking and be like, man, I was just there. God's going to cross your path with that person. And you're going to realize, wow, I remember this lie that I believe. And it sounds like they're in it too. So I'm going to move forward and begin to ask them that. So I think some of that happens naturally. But yeah, I think the church, as they come around, the leadership will affirm that in people's lives as they see it happening, uh, will stimulate. You get sermons like this where Paul's laying it out. I mean, Paul's laying it out for the spiritual people to get messy with the people in the body. So, I mean, it's, there's a temptation to kind of hang back. Who am I? Who, who should, you know, I think spiritual people kind of know that they're nothing, right? And so who am I to try to get involved but I think the, the reality here is you, you know, we hear these sermons, we hear Paul tell us that, yeah, spiritual people have an obligation, you know, to use Romans language, to bear with the failings of the weak. Um, the strong, he uses strong language there. The strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak in Romans 15. So, yes, the body kind of affirms that. Um, and if someone's kind of marching out ahead, they're, maybe, they're, maybe they're trying to help people beyond what they're gifted in. The, the body comes around that. be like, hey, bro, like, you think you really need to be posting that on social media whenever you're dealing with this over here? You know, just like let's, let's, let's kind of keep each other in check there. Just to make sure we're not just going off in hypocrisy, you know, because that's not good. That's just, that's, we're just continuing to further the delusion. So I think, yeah, maybe both ends of that as a, as a hey, maybe you better slow down or, hey, maybe you better speed up. The church body kind of helps you, and leadership too, helps you kind of keep going. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? Okay. All right. Any others? All right, if you've got more, happy to talk. Um, we'll do part two next week uh, of this, and we'll try to lay out kind of a process for, um, for restoration, all right? You're dismissed.